Peace, power, and prosperity, family. This is Amir, the Chicago crypto hustler, Bitcoin block bully, coming to you once again. And um, I'm actually starting something new tonight. This video that I'm doing on decentralized finances or financial decentralized financing is going to be the first of a new YouTube channel that I'm starting that is going to be entitled D5 with a wise guy. I mean, um, I like to think of myself as pretty wise, and I like the thought of this whole DeFi movement or decentralized finance. So I'm going to start something new, and it's just going to be a section for those that are interested in that main subject, which in my opinion should be a subject that is not only studied and comprehended you know, as much as can be, but also should be taught within a family household on how to operate and orchestrate within this new space that is beginning to emerge at an alarming rate and is going to be the social norm here in years to come. So, um, New Money Matrix podcast, you already know. Thank everybody that's going to tune in, get this information, and use it to better themselves and their living, not only for them, but for those within their lineage in years to come. Um, cryptocurrency, blockchain is here to stay. It's as much as the future of finances and economics as it is the present. So without further ado, we're going to get into the story that is brought to us by Max Bronstein on Token Economy, uh, .co. And he gives a pretty, pretty, I mean, not even pretty, he gives a very good breakdown of, as an introduction level to decentralized finances. Um, the minute, I mean, the read itself, as it states, is a 30-minute read. I'm going to add my own commentary, being that this was written back in August 7th of 2018. So, you know, along with my added commentary i will be updating anything that may be out of date or old or some anything that may have changed also i'll be adding my own two cents so but he, he he's given a very very good breakdown of the whole system so i'm going to use his story along with my comprehension and understanding of this system to better introduce this new financial structure, this new financial protocol that is going to be the main way of conducting business in the near future. The story is entitled Mapping the, Deci Mapping the Decentralized Financial System. More transparent, open, and programmable financial services. And this is pretty much all based around not so much the grandfather and the head honcho Bitcoin, but more so around the Ethereum blockchain and the use of its smart contracts. I'm going to let the story speak and I'll add in when I feel that it's needed. One of the most exciting developments within the blockchain space is the coming of the decentralized financial system. In this new system, users will be able to access censorship resistance financial services whilst remaining in full control of their wealth and personal data. And what they mean by access censorship resistance, financial services, meaning that there's not so much of a, a censorship put on who can get service from this new system, be it because of um, color, creed, um, nationality, 
um, maybe uh, pay rate, you know what I mean, household income, credit score, um, I think I already said race, uh, demographic, age even. You know, as you get more into this decentralized financial system and how it's being ran through the use of smart contracts, pretty much anybody with a laptop, smart device, you know, be it a mobile phone, tablet, iPad, and internet access can then utilize the many financial advantages that are being brought forth with the use of blockchain, um, mainly the Ethereum blockchain. So, but yeah, just that means when you see censorship resistant, that means that there is a lackadacious or more so loose, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A loose constraint or a loose grip, not so much of a grip on who is able to participate in such, 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 a, uh, such a platform or for such services. Um, it goes on to say these financial tools will be open and permissionless. Once again, another term that we're going to come across many a time when within this blockchain and decentralized space. Permissionless, I mean, pretty much is self-explanatory. There's no, you don't need any permission. There's no third party, no counterparty. It is between you and yourself. The only thing that you have to trust when utilizing such things on these type of blockchains is the code itself. Because there is little to no human interaction. Um, so these financial tools will be open and permissionless. An internet connection will be the only prerequisite prerequisite to accessing them rather than geography and circumstance. Users will also have an unprecedented level of transparency when it comes to financial agreements. Knowing the terms of every contract before entering into one. That's key. That is key. We live our lives um, agreeing to contracts, though we may not know it. Similarly, financial agreements will be arbitrated by smart contracts that always execute as planned. Eliminating counterparty risk from a variety of integral transactions. Lastly, the decreased cost associated with creating financial services as well as their programmability will allow for a more granular and efficient overall system. We're getting into the to today's financial system. Financial services are a crux of any economy. They enable individuals to exchange value, store wealth, and take on credit. Debit cards, credit cards, and digital bank applications allow us to spend money on goods and services. Bank accounts allow us to save money and earn interest on those savings. And loans give individuals and businesses access to capital so the economy can grow at a faster rate. Being the backbone of economic functions is quite valuable. So there is no surprise that the financial services industry makes up a great deal of the world's economy. In the United States alone, the gross output of the finance and insurance market was $2.6 trillion in Q4 2017. Roughly 7.5% of the U.S. GDP of gross domestic product. While it's difficult to precisely measure the output of the financial sector relative to the global GDP, the IMF estimated in 2014 that the figure was around 16.5%, the total output being worth $13.1 trillion. And this right here is the uh, graph straight to the moon. Regardless of the market's total value, the financial services industry is rife with problems. Many of these problems stem from the fact that financial services are controlled and supplied by a central party. 
in such a system, a single entity, and pay attention to when they use the term entity because the word entity could mean anything at this point, um, corporation, group, um, even something that may, may be deemed and looked at as uh, human or living, um, also that which is inanimate or not even tangible. So um, just pay attention to choice words when they pop up. It goes on to state, in such a system, a single entity can decide to what extent it will provide financial services and to whom. Remember, they're saying entity, not person. This does not necessarily refer to a degraded quality of service, but rather disproportionate, ah, disproportionate, disproportionate influence over who can access these basic tools. I apologize for mixing myself up with that uh, word. In many cases, individuals cannot access basic financial services because of where they live. Will Raren, founder of the OX Project, put it well by claiming the current system is akin to a geography lottery. You are either lucky enough to be born in a developed country that protects fundamental human rights, or you are born into an oppressive regime that suppresses economic developments in the standard of living. Now we're getting into the pitfalls excuse me, the primary pitfalls of centralized financial services, which include unequal access, censorship, counterparty risk, apostasy, lack of transparency. According to the World Bank, 2 billion people worldwide do not have a bank account or access to a financial institution. Think about that, 2 billion worldwide. In regions like Africa, the Middle East, and parts of Asia, it does not make sense for banks to service the population because of low income levels, lack of financial literacy, and a small overall market. This leads to high fees associated with opening a bank account, excuse me, inconveni inconveniently located bank branches, and an inefficient bureaucratic system. The result has been widespread stagnation in economic development and societal progression as the citizens are unable to store wealth send money, and build a financial system. Pay attention. Centralized financial entities are also prone to censorship. Payment service providers are a great example as they have the ability to exclude, the, exclude individuals from sending and receiving money. Many in the crypto industry are familiar with the WikiLeaks example in which Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal block the organization's ability to receive donations. And if you don't know who WikiLeaks is, that is the platform that shows you a lot of definitions of certain things. So if we look up, let's see, let's, let's look up United States, right? Let's look up definition. It should give us WikiLeaks. Uh, let's see if it does. Hmm, interesting enough, it does not. Hmm. Let's see. And what we're doing right now is just looking, uh, just to make sure. Okay, here we go. WikiLeaks is an independent, nonprofit online media organization that publishes submissions of otherwise unavailable documents from anonymous sources. Okay, I had this mixed up with uh, Wikipedia. I apologize. 
Um, Iraq War Logs, published in uh, October of 2010 in conjunction with commercial news media, which included over 400,000 documents. And I guess they're speaking about what they had there. But um, basically what happened was they were cut off from all funding within the U.S. jurisdiction. So what they had to do essentially was say, hey, we can't accept anything for no credit card, you know, which was, you know, at the time the only digital form of payment other than maybe a bank transfer. Excuse me. So they said, hey, let's open up the uh, roadways, the airwaves, the um, payment system, and let's accept, let's accept Bitcoin. Funny enough, Julian Assange tweeted in 2017 claiming WikiLeaks investments had appreciated 50,000%, which not only helped the organization survive, but also allowed it to hire more personnel and fund initiatives that align with their ethos. Another sector with rampant financial censorship is the adult entertainment industry. But Spank Chain, a decentralized network for adult webcam entertainment headed by Amin Salamani, aims to change all that. Wow. The Spank Chain white paper notes that J.P. Morgan Chase has unilaterally closed the bank accounts of several popular adult entertainers and their families without justification. Visa and MasterCard routinely deny payment capabilities to businesses, and PayPal has actually seized funds from users' accounts without warning. Pay attention. Relying on central authorities also exposes every transaction to some form of counterparty risk, meaning the risk that a financial institution will not be able to live up to its con contractual obligations. Counterparty risk is particularly prevalent, prevalent in credit agreements since leaders have to trust that borrowers will return their principal after some specified duration. The lender always takes on the risk of default. A common example is the risk that individuals take on when they deposit their money in a bank. Mm, risky, huh? There's always a risk that the bank cannot honor your deposit if they're lending it out to their customers. This risk is much higher in developed ec economies, but much higher, excuse me, this risk is much smaller in developed economies, but much higher in developing countries like Kenya, where there have been as many as three separate bank runs in a span of eight months. And if you don't know what a bank run is, I can get into this into uh, my book, The Puzzle, The Enigma Behind Bitcoin and Cryptocurrency. And basically um, speaking, the bank run is when X amount of individuals or clients of the bank come and want to withdraw, you know, a majority of their funds out of the bank. Now, another word you might want to become familiar with, which they might get into later on during this um, read, is um, fractional uh, reserve bank, uh, fractional reserve banking, whereas the bank doesn't have to keep all money on hand that it says it holds. So when um let me see basically when you go to try to get the money out of the bank it's not there legally they can spend I think it's up to no they only need to keep I believe 10% in the bank liquid liquid at any given time so they said the same thing happened in 2008 crisis when financial institutions were unable to cover their debt obligations. While many banks were bailed out, investors still lost millions. 
And that's because you give your money over to these banks for safekeeping and you allow them to make business decisions. And, you know, every business decision is not a good one. But they don't get penalized, you do, being the holder or the um, one who huh, essentially offered up your funds to them as collateral for whatever reason. Um, anyways, lastly, the current financial system is extremely opaque. Institutions frequently master consumer offerings within fine print and often engage in shady business practices at the expense of the individual. A great example is the idea of a free checking account. Mm, let's see what they're talking about. Opening the bank account wasn't always free. There used to be an explicit fee for storing your money with a bank, but later began banks later began marketing their services as free and only offering descriptions of their offerings in 44-page consumer agreements. You know what I mean? Um, behind the curtain, banks set account minimums and arbitrary re re uh, requisites that allow them to extract fees from their unknown customers. Another telling example of the financial system's predatory practices was the adjustable rate mortgage in 2008. Wow, when they created instruments. And how frequently originators used them to convince consumers to take out new loans. A majority of these issues reached a tipping point during the 2008 financial crisis. It was the first time that the public had a transparent look into how the system operated. And it was clear that there had to be a better plumbing for financial services to run. This set the stage for Bitcoin's well-thought-of go-to-market strategy. Satoshi Nakamoto didn't have to convince people that the financial system, as it stood, was going to um, rely on too much faulty trust and that a more decentralized architecture was necessary into the blockchain. For the first time, listen to this, Bitcoin enabled its users to be self-sovereign meaning they didn't have to rely on a government or central party to store wealth. Once again, I'm going to state that one more time, family. This is one of the main points that I hit on. Bitcoin enabled its users, as does other cryptocurrencies, to be self-sovereign, meaning that you are able to handle your own commercial and financial affairs without the need of an outside third-party counterparty um, agent or entity assisting you, helping you, directing you, or anything. You can do all, I mean, essentially looking at it, you know what I mean, right now. But, you know, this is this is the future of finances, family. Um, it goes on to say that Ethereum applied similar principles to computation. Okay, hold on. No, no, no. Where do we leave off at? Uh, without a third party... Okay, here we go. Until Bitcoin came around, there was no option for an individual to have full custody of their funds. Listen to that. No option. Listen to that. So when you had a shoebox full of money or under the mattress or in a bank or spread around on different debit cards or whatever, um, was it still not yours? That's interesting. Very interesting. Um, the story goes on to say wealth was either stored digitally, represented by an entry in a database, or through a physical bearer instrument like paper money. 
With Bitcoin, users could take full custody of their assets by running a full node. Doing so gave the user the ability to validate transactions without a third party. Transactions due or transactions um Excuse me, family. Um, although Nakamoto's consensus, a network of decentralized miners are able to agree. Uh, excuse me, through Nakamoto. Excuse me. Um, in fact, let me rewind to back to the full node part. So, what a node is: any laptop, any smart device, any um, network that is connected at uh, to the Bitcoin network is essentially a node. Now. What's the difference between a node and a full node? Let's see. So a full node, any computer that connects to the Bitcoin network is a node. Nodes that fully verify all of the rules of Bitcoin are called full nodes. So you got some that are connected that are just, you know, helping to assist. And then you got those ones that are going above and beyond, you know. Just speaking on it in a uh, pretty simple way. Um, so, uh, with Bitcoin, users could take full custody of their assets by running a full node. Doing so gave the user the ability to validate transactions without a third party. Bitcoin was the first technology that allowed users to send value. P pay attention. The first, the first, the first technology, so they say, that allowed users to, to send value peer-to-peer, -peer Without the need of a central bank. Oh. Huh. Excuse me, family. It is late over here in Chicago. It's about going on 11.30 p.m. Been up since maybe 5 a.m. So running on my last fumes right here trying to get this cranked out. Um, anyways, Bitcoin was also the first technology that allowed users to send value peer-to-peer -peer without the need of a central party. Through Nakamoto consensus, a network of decentralized miners are able to agree on whether or not a transaction was accurate. Ethereum applied similar principles to computation, enabling anyone to in the world enabling anyone in the world to run an application without the fear of downtime or censorship. Developers use Ethereum to write smart contracts, which are self-executing pieces of code that encode basic business logic like asset issuance and value transfer. Smart contracts always run as planned and don't rely on a third party for computation. Key. The platform relies on a decentralized network of miners who perform these computations in pursuit of a block reward similar to Bitcoin mining. Now... Within the last month, I would say, month or two, what has happened is that Ethereum has upgraded to a proof-of-stake algorithm. Um, I haven't dug in deep enough to see exactly how that works, but um, nonetheless, it, um, to my knowledge, has little to any effect on the ecosystem as far as price-wise goes. So, um, let's see. Goes on to say, smart contracts are particularly useful for making basic financial agreements programmable, effectively bringing software to a lot of the problems noted above in Ethereum. Code can dictate how value is utilized. Basic peer-for-peer. Uh, -peer. Um, let me see. 
Ugh. Smart contracts are particularly useful, excuse me, family, for making basic financial agreements programmable, effectively bringing software to a lot of problems noted above. In Ethereum, code can dictate how value is utilized past basic peer-to-peer transactions. Functions like venture financing, borrowing, and issuance purchasing can all be executed through smart contracts rather than relying on a central party. Now we get into decentralized financial services. From the offset, it was clear that software would eat some aspects of the financial industry. And these are jobs that are going to be taken over by, um, by tech, from humans to tech, from us to AI. Finance today operates through a handful of powerful intermediaries who extract, extract rent for providing services that can just as easily be delegated to code. Historically, the largest obstacle to digital... Uh, Where do we leave off at? Historically, the largest obstacle to digitizing um, most financial services is creating trust in digital environments. How can we know? I mean, I, hmm. let's see. Uh, how do we know that a digital transaction is valid without a central party verifying key elements of the exchange? With a new digital primitive, trust. Entrepreneurs and developers have begun constructing new decentralized financial infrastructures intended to replace today's outdated financial stack. Users will be able to store and transfer wealth as well as take out loans without the need of an intermediary. Similarly, smart contracts will also allow users to easily access complex financial tools for creating. What would you do? Um... Let me see, we have a claim uh, and protecting assets. So similarly, smart contracts will also will allow users to easily access complex financial tools for creating and protecting assets as well as managing risk. Decentralized financial networks represent a mode of exit for users who are decentralized or dis- disenfranchised, excuse me, with the existing system. But one, no one will argue that the transition is more optimal in every aspect. Rather, this new financial system comes with specific trade-offs. Individuals who value a system that's permissionless, censorship-resistant, and trustless will have... Let me see. Nah, um... Okay. Um, this trade-off will ideally evolve over time and scale to a point where obtaining the benefits of decentralization won't require users to incur additional costs. Um, so now we're getting into blockchain-based financial services are superior to their centralized counterparts across five primary features. And they're going to break down the five top features of a decentralized finance. Number one, permissionless. Anyone is able to access decentralized financial networks through an internet connection. No individual can be denied service based on who they are, where they are born, or how much money they have. Censorship resistance is number two. Remember, we talked about this in the beginning. They're really getting down to the nitty-gritty. And that's why I said that this article alone was um, very, very, very important in utilizing for the introduction of this, uh, this system. 
So no central party is able to reverse the order of transactions and deem a validated transaction invalid at some later point in time. Similarly, a central party can't turn off the service. Anyone with access can use a decentralized network. So, let me see. Hmm. Interesting. So no central party is able to reverse the order of transactions deemed a validated transaction invalid at some later point in time. Similarly, a central bank can't turn off the service. Anyone can have anyone with access can use a decentralized network. And that's what I was uh, speaking on earlier about, um, you know, not even the age. Like, you can have a kid fresh out of middle school going into high school, fresh out of high school going into college even, and have them utilizing the many new financial services that are available, which those coming out of eighth grade going into high school are definitely going to be um, utilizing as they get older. Um, number three, we have trustless. Users don't have to trust a central party to ensure the transactions are valid. Number four is transparent. Hmm. Um, I can already see this putting a lot of people out of business, specifically those who are given the position of trustee and is only there to orchestrate and put out the... Um, let me see. Yeah, that'd be, um, that'd be something. So um, we left off on number three, trustless. Users don't have to trust a central party to ensure the transactions are valid. Number four, we have transparent. Public blockchains are completely transparent and auditable. All aspects of a financial exchange are made available. And then last but not least, we have programmable. Developers can create and intertwine financial services at a very low cost. Plug-and-play architecture helps compound the power of these services. And what they're speaking on is the fact that everything, well, majority of this is open source, meaning anybody can utilize it. The API uh, keys are open, so you can utilize such platforms as maybe Compound Finance, which we'll probably get into a little later on. Um, it goes on to say a lot of this infrastructure is currently being built out. Step one is creating the fundamental, excuse me, foundational protocols that will power this new system. Think of the most basic financial function in today's economy. Peer-to-peer -peer payments, asset creation, hmm. um, let me see, where do we leave off at? Think of the most best financial functions in today's economy, peer-to-peer -peer payments, asset creation, risk hedging, and lending. All of these need to be built from the ground up but on a more decentralized backbone. Once these financial primitives become battle-tested, the next step will be the construction of a vibrant layer too composed of business leveraging these protocols to create um, end consumer value. In the future, users will be able to issue any form of value as a tokenized asset that can be bought and sold freely on a global open market. These, uh, they're talking about the MCDs, the multi-multi- multi Multiple collateral or multi collateralized debt positions. Um, this value can be tied to a physical asset, like a home, or to something more intangible, like a set of digital art. Users will then be able to sell those assets seamlessly, hedge against any price volatility, take out loans against them, and really anything else that developers can create, all without the need for a central party family. I hope we're getting this. For those that are actually in the business world that interacts with a lot of individuals and, you know, is known for doing X amount of contracts, please understand, understand, overstand, comprehend what is going on right now.
I mean, in my opinion, utterly amazing, amazing, amazing the amount of things that it's let, let, allowing individuals to do. Um, and a lot of it, you can start with the lowest uh, 10 Satoshis. Let's see. Okay, so it goes on to say, I've compiled a list of the most exciting financial primitives currently being bailed out. Each one of the primitives, um, each financial never. Okay, no, I left off. The the uh, modularity, programmability, and cost efficient of these multi-layered financial networks will allow us to reach a level of financial granularity never before possible. We're setting precedent right now in this space. I've compiled a list of the most exciting financial primitives currently being built out. Each one of these primitives aims to be a 10x improvement across access, censorship resistance, cost effectiveness, and transparency. While this list is not exhaustive, it should give the reader an an idea of how fast the space is evolving and provide a glimpse into what a more open financial world would look like. So let's see. Scalable payments. As I previously mentioned, Bitcoin was the first time in history that individuals could send value peer-to-peer without the need of a central party. Ethereum allowed for a similar value transfer mechanism but saw a majority of its use come from payments between individuals and corporations rather than between two individuals. Bitcoin and Ethereum in their current state are relatively inefficient at being both fast and cheap payment networks. Bitcoin has a 1 megabyte cap, no, 1 million, hmm, a 1 MB cap on the block size, okay, megabyte cap on the block size that miners are most incentivized by fees to include a transact in a block. Hmm. Let me see. Okay, there we go. Transactions fees in Bitcoin are subject to a fee market in which users who offer the highest speed amounts have a greater chance of having their transaction included in the next block. Since demand for Bitcoin blocks is high, the fee market makes Bitcoin more expensive than traditional payment networks that don't have their own version of a block limit. Similarly, the Bitcoin protocol states that a blockchain is propagated oh, every, every 10 minutes. Making it unusable for cryptocurrencies. Hmm, let's see. Block limit. Okay. Okay, I see what they're saying. So, since the demand for Bitcoin block size is high, the fee market makes Bitcoin inexpensive. Um, similarly, the Bitcoin protocol states that a block is propagated every 10 minutes, making it unusable for micropayments. Ethereum has run into similar scaling issues, which they've been working on lately. Um, the 2017 ICO craze and a full, few notable decentralized applications catal- catalyzed on-chain demand, which drastically increased transaction fees. Multiple crowd sales congested the Ethereum blockchain for days at a time. In the popular NFT game, CryptoKitties nearly took down the network when it launched. We're still in the early days for the quest to solve scalable on-chain payments. While there was a... Hmm. Let's see. It goes on to say, we're still in the early days for the quest to solve scalable on-chain payments. While there are a number of potential solutions, the community has largely shifted to Layer 2 as the best way to scale blockchains. 
This primary benefit of Layer 2 solutions is that they move a great deal of network activity off-chain and only rely on main chain for trust enforcement and arbitration. If successful, Layer 2 solutions will drastically... I know. Um, let me see. Will drastically decrease on-chain transactions bloat while allowing the network to retain a high level of decentralization. The two most promising solutions, the night the network for Bitcoin and okay, so now we're getting into uh let me see, here goes the Lightning Network is a decentralized system that leverages smart contracts to enable instant payments. Specifically, the Lightning Network was Bitcoin's built on um Okay. All right. So we're gonna talk. We're getting into the Lightning Network. Um. So I guess we're getting into the payment methods first. State two. I mean state channels. Let's see. Lightning Network is currently developed by Lightning Labs. Payments within the channel are not broadcast into the blockchain block the Bitcoin blockchain effectively removing a removing a lot of on-chain bloat. So the Lightning Network was basically made and created for Bitcoin to run outside of chain and speed up the transaction speed. That was the reason for uh Lightning Network. Um state channels are similar to the Lightning Network in that they are a layer two scalability solution for Ethereum that enables users to take transactions off the base layer blockchain. As demand for state channels function like a general form of payment channels, but also blockchain state updates to be executed between two parties. For example, changes inside a smart contract. By moving state transactions off the blockchain, Ethereum blockchain, users can interact with applications without having to constantly pay on-chain transaction fees and wait for comp comp confirmation. To open up a state channel, part of the blockchain is locked into a multi-sig contract Controlled by a defined set of participants. Participants inside the channel can update the state between each other as long as all parties sign off on the most recent state change. All of these changes are free and instant as they don't have to be propagated and verified on the main chain. When the participants... Um, let's see. When the participants want to close the channel, they argue on a channel state. Let's see. So the number of teams working on uh, state channel implementations, both Spank Chain and Counterfactual have released high quality summaries and development documentation for further development. Okay. So I guess these are a couple of the examples of what they have available. Um, these are the general the for those that are watching that would be watching the video. These are the generalized state channels. You got Spank Chain, Machinemy. Counterfactual, Seller Network, Finality Labs, um, name a couple few. You got State Network, State Channel Networks, uh, Direct State Channel, Payment Channel Networks, and Direct Payment Channels. Okay. Um, next in the system, you have Stable Coins, one of the very most important within this new decentralized financial system. 
Um, when we look at the, the amount of stable coins that are available right now and what they are backed by, and then you have an understanding of that which they're backed by not actually being money but just being currency and legal tender and it means of exchange, meaning that United States dollar tethers, um, and even with them, they just came out and said that they're not even 100% backed by USD. But when they were saying that, they were saying that they were backed by 100% United States dollar. Okay, that's full kind of fine, that's cool, fine, and dandy. But what if I'm not long on the United States dollar then, right? That's when you get into Forex and now you want to long and short. And, but what I'm saying is, if you want something to be stable, it has to be backed by something. Right now, the American dollar is not backed by anything but the full faith and credit of the American people itself. That's it. There's no precious metal, no commodity, no anything. But when you look at such coins as DAI, make a die, it is protected by some of the top um hmm. let's see. Okay. Financial uh so yeah, when you look at DAI, DAI, all DAI is collateralized. It's actually backed by Ethereum that is held in the smart contract. And they may get into this a little bit later in the article. Um, like I said many times, I don't read these articles before I bring them. I sort of um, go through it, wing it, freestyle it, and then clear up anything that I may not understand. Um, you know, But I do pay attention to ones that set a good basis. You know what I mean? I might not read through the whole thing. I may look at the beginning, skim through it. Just to see what all they have. The simple fact that this one was a 30-minute read um, let me know that they had to have been breaking down a lot. So, I mean, it could have been completely bullshit, but hey, it's been working so far. So, anyways, another frequently discussed issue with the using cryptocurrency as a form of payment or store of value is the asset class drastic volatility. Meaning the, the, uh, the uh, price swings, the violent price swings. Rapidly changing prices exclude a number of use cases, including merchant adoption and using crypto to pay employee salaries. Financial planning is difficult, and to date, most individuals are better off buying and holding crypto assets. The two most popular and liquid crypto assets, Bitcoin and Ether, have seen weekly volatility spike 7.71% and 13.18%, respectively, since 2015. Wow. Stable coins are crypto assets designed to hold a stable value. Most implementations to date have attempted to remain stable relative to the U.S. dollar, effectively creating digital representations of the U.S. dollar that can be transacted through a blockchain network. There are a number of unique stablecoin designs, including a centralized IOU model like Tether or TrueUSD, collateral back like MakerDAO, and seniorage shares like Basis. Excuse me. This post will focus on the latter two types are centralized IOU models rely on a central. This post will focus on the latter two types. Okay, as centralized IOU models rely on a central party to hold currency reserves and still retain a high degree of counterparty risk, i.e. Tether's ongoing investigation. And this was, remember, from 2018. Stable coins are an extremely experimental concept and will likely need interaction, iteration once released into the world. It's important to understand some of the uh, some of the counter arguments against stable crypto assets. MakerDAO, um, you can do. Uh, let me see. MakerDAO is a smart contract. Which I mean, if you if you if you haven't checked out MakerDAO, please check it out. Please, I highly suggest a good um, thorough look at MakerDAO. Let's get into it real quick. It's a smart contract platform on Ethereum that operates the Dai stablecoin system. 
a complex decentralized organization that creates a price-stable crypto asset. The DAI stablecoin is a collateral-backed cryptocurrency whose value is stable relative to the U.S. dollar. DAI derives its value from the fact that it's collateralized in excess by some other crypto asset. Currently, only Ethereum, but they are coming out with MCDs. These assets are held in collateralized debt positions, or CDPs, which are smart contracts that generate DAI when collateral is deposited and accepted DAI when a debt position is paid off. The system also relies on autonomous feedback mechanisms and incentivizes external actors to maintain its dollar peg. The MKR itself, the other token in the DAI stablecoin system, entitles holders to interest, interest in earned from borrowers of the DAI and serves as a mechanism for decentralized governance without the platform. MKR will also be used as a recapitalization re resource once the platform allows DAI to be collateralized with tokens other than ETH. DAI has been increased, has seen increased um, use. Um, hmm. Let me see. DAI has seen increased uh, use across the decentralized exchanges in the Ethereum ecosystem and is partnering with L4 Ventures. Wow to uh, back projects integrating DAI as a payment mechanism within their projects. And now you have BASIS, which is a stable currency. Let's see, they got a link. They do have a link. Wow, let's see what BASIS. I'm going to go back and take a look at BASIS. I'm not going to take a look at it now. I'll come back and take a look at it on my own time. Um, but BASIS is a stable cryptocurrency with a decentralized algorithmic central bank that expands and contracts the supply of BASIS to stabilize its purchasing power. Basis does this by choosing a target asset to stabilize against. Like the U.S. dollar on a consumer price index and defining a target price relative to the pegged asset, say one USD for one basis, basis token, Basis then utilizes an oracle system to retrieve an accurate exchange rate and algorithmically adjust the supply of basis in an attempt to stabilize the price. If basis trading higher than the desired peg, the system issues more basis. If basis trading below the desired peg, the system creates bonds in an effort to remove coins from circulation. Consensus is still in the early stages and has provided a... What's going on? Um, okay. Basis is still in the early stages and has received a fair amount of constructive feedback for their design. It remains to be seen in a seniorative... Sen, seniorage? I'm going to have to look that word up. Uh, shares stablecoin model um it remains to be seen if a seniority share stablecoin model can flourish in a decentralized matter and now you have asset asset issuance blockchains have revolutionized the process by which assets are created particularly tradable assets like stocks and bonds in today's financial system the issuance process is highly manual paper in, in, intensive and involves a wide variety of rent extracting intermediaries Redundant record-keeping leads to large internal and external reconciliations, which drive up the cost of insurance. Issuance, excuse me. Similarly, a number of stakeholders are required to complete the process, including involvement, including investment banks, syndicates, excuse me, syndicate, yeah, syndicates, and regulator, regulators, all slowing down the process and charging fees. Smart contracts offer a completely new paradigm for security issuance. They drive costs down, democratize the asset creation process, and expand the... 
Let's see. And expand the design space of what can constitute an asset. Developers can now easily. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, developers can easily develop, deploy a contract that creates a digital representation of an asset. Custody's funds. And exchanges those funds to the new assets. Smart contracts are the man wave. Um, we saw the we saw this play out in Ethereum with the proliferation of utility tokens based on the ERC twenty token standard. Anyone with access to the internet and some tutorials could deploy a token to the Ethereum mainnet. And while the majority of these tokens were designed to behave like software licenses or medium of exchange assets, they were distributed through public offerings, making them akin to equity in a publicly traded company. ERC twenty token showed that similarity contract or contract. Hmm. It showed that the smart contracts can automate a lot of manual processes involved in creating company equity and dissemination to the public. It's unclear, no, excuse me, uncertain how many of these tokens will accrue sustainable value, but the commodity commodity ah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where my tongue is tonight. Commoditization of issuance is a big leap forward. There we go. Um, the ERC is a standard abstract abstracted. The ERC twenty standard abstracted the asset issuance process to such an extent that there are currently one hundred and two thousand six hundred and twenty four token contracts on Ethereum. Creating a token on top of Ethereum is actually so easy anyone can do so through this contract generator. No programming skills required. Let's go ahead and bring that up. Definitely going to take a look at that later on. Um, no programming skills required. Although crypto asset market caps don't definitively represent an inherent value, ERC-20 tokens account for over $50 billion USD in market cap. The Ethereum ecosystem is starting to see a lot of develop. I, I don't know. Um, this opens up the potential for virtually anything of value to be represented on the blockchain. Yes, it does. The same way, let me see, tokens built using... Okay, so they're getting into the token use. Okay, now we got Tari. Assets can be created on the blockchain. All that's required is a scripting language that allows developers to create the rules around how value is transferred on that network. Many in the network argue that digital assets should be created on chains that are more constructive and designed more towards being a SOV settlement letter. Um, as such, F, eh. hmm. as such, Monero recently announced uh, hmm. let's see. So Tari is, uh, the assets can be created on any blockchain that's required. Many of the community argue that digital assets can be created on chains that are more conservative and designed more towards a SOV settlement layer. As such, Monero recently announced as asset issuance platform on top of the main chain. Tari is an open source blockchain protocol designed to create a digital asset secured by the Monero blockchain. Tari's go-to market strategy includes creating digitally native assets like loyalty points event tickets, and collectibles to show each industry the value of blockchain technology and smart contracts. Um, and then you have the asset exchange. There's, there's a little question that crypto's killer app to date has been speculation. 
moving crypto assets between user-controlled wallets and exchanges comprises a large majority of blockchain transactions. While that's quickly evolving into more mature uses, some of the activity takes place on crypto exchanges, specifically centralized exchanges. Centralized exchanges allow users to trade their fiat or crypto assets for other crypto assets. These exchanges provide an easy-to-navigate interface, match orders, and exchange escrow uh, funds. While the decentralized, excuse me, while the centralized model is fast and reliable, these exchanges face a number of problems, including insecurity, a lack of liquidity, market fragmentation, and OPOC financial infrastructure. Centralized exchanges expose every individual to a high degree of counterparty risk. Users give full custody of their funds to exchanges that can technically use those assets for lending or other business-related uh, activities. Decentralized exchanges are pioneering a new value exchange model in which users can freely transact with one another, like a free market, with the full custody of their funds by use of the uh, private key. In the DEX model, the exchange never has controls over users' private key, so that there's no risk of having funds stolen or hacked. Another big benefit is shared liquidity. Since every user is posting orders to shared open infrastructure, um, let me see, they can be matched with virtually anyone else in the world. And then you have the OX project, um, which is an open protocol that facilitates the trading of any token on the blockchain protocol, um, almost like a swap, um, which they get into air swaps. Um, so AirSwap is similar to OX in that the core protocol is a module set of smart contracts that allow users to sign orders and have them be marked, or excuse me, matched peer-to-peer. AirSwap similarly employs off-chain negotiation and on-chain settlement. Swaps do differentiate themselves in terms of their target market. The platform is much more geared towards institutional market makers. Market makers are able to trade without fees if they hold the network token, AST in a wallet for some certain period of time. This makes the platform much more a yeah. Um let me see. Airswap can also be gun making hey, it's crazy. So you got derivatives over here and they get into the different derivative options that you uh are able to use, such as Augur. Augur is a great example of the blockchain te- technology democratizing access to financial services. Um, it's a decentralized platform that allows anyone in the world to create a pres- pre- prediction market around any event. Apart from their availability or their ability to unlock the wisdom of the crowd, prediction markets also make great uh, hedging tools. In the case of Facebook stock example, Facebook could get similar exposure to their put option if they participated in the Will's bit of Facebook stock price. Interesting. Then you got the DYDX indexing. Um, you got set protocol. You have lending. Uh, lending is a core tenant of any functioning l- l- economy. Loans help the economy grow at a faster rate as people can more quickly access capital and put it to work. At a high level, every loan has a borrower and a lender who agree on an amount borrowed, an interest rate, and this. Uh, hmm. Anyways, let me see. Borrowers usually incur penalty fees in the case of the late payments or default. Today, large debt markets exist for consumers, businesses, and government, all of which constantly need capital to fund their, uh, their operations. 
Common examples in Cree include simple agreements like mortgage and auto loans, as well as more complex arrangements like debt financing, credit derivatives, and municipal bonds. Although loans are a boom for economic activity, they suffer from a majority. Um, yeah, you can slide. Let me see. A majority of the previously mentioned programs that plague, plot, plague centralized servers. Um, Dharma is another good one. Very nice protocol. You might want to check out. Compound finance is one that I went over, where you're basically able to um, set a coin and gain interest just from holding it in the uh, Binance Finance Protocol. That was I, I've played with myself. Let me see. Oh, that seems to be the end. Hmm. Product market fit. As the block in closing, as the blockchain ecosystem matures, the community will realize that blockchains aren't a pan uh panet. Hmm. Panacea? Panacea? I don't know. For every problem. But rather a technological tool that allows us to create new forms of economic abundance. By enabling anyone with an internet connection to access basic financial services, blockchain technology has the ability to raise the standard of living for millions of people and jumpstart growth in a number of developing economies. Not only have we lowered the barriers to access, blockchains provide a number of needed efficiency gains including censorship resistance, transparency, and program, programmability. There are values will, these values will become more clear as blockchain technology eats the financial system. In fact, the process has already started. Apart from all the funding these projects have received, many applications are seeing scale usage. The Lightning Network already has a network capacity of over 725,000, over 180 million of value has been exchanged through OX smart contracts, and over 100,000 in loans have been issued on Ethereum, and over 1 million was bet on Augur with the first week of launch. The blockchain community has long been searching for the goose egg that is real adoption. This quest always leads to the invariable question, what are blockchains actually good for? Based on the drastic benefits offered by decentralized finance services as well as existing usage, I have a feeling we're on the cusp of blockchain's next frontier. So, family, that was, once again, a very well-put-together story by um, Max Bronstein on the TokenEconomy.co website. Um, for those that are listening in on the New Money Matrix podcast, I do hope that was a very, very, very good read. I hope it broke down a lot for you. Um, I hope you had pen and pad and were taking notes. Definitely a long read. We're going on an hour right now, so I'm going to end New Money Matrix podcast and go along with the visual for those that are able to watch along um, using man, man, um, I don't know where that came from. Excuse me, family. Uh, but anyways, um, I'm going to be, uh, continuing to bring the information, new money makes this podcast, be on the lookout. This is the beginning of, this is the beginning of something new. Okay. Until the next podcast, this is Amir, the Chicago crypto hustler representing DeFi, peace, power, and prosperity. I'm out of here.